0: This is not going to be some transitory in nature phenomenon. All the elements were there, the pent up demand, the supply chain issues, the too much money in circulation. There was too many things converging at this point in time to think this was going to be something that just stopped. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones
1: on the journey to world-class performance. Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast on inflation and procurement and supply chain. My name is Nick Walden. I'm your host for today, and I'm joined by my guest, Jonathan Fearing. Jonathan's based in Ohio. I'm based in the UK over in Europe. Jonathan is an associate principal in our procurement advisory practice here at the Hackett Group. I'm also a colleague in our procurement advisory practice. My role today will be to introduce the questions, guide some of the discussion, and to share my own perspectives to add in context as well. So inflation in procurement and supply chain, uh, what the heck is going on? It seems like it's a super exciting, super complicated and distracting topic. Care to get us started share some thoughts?
0: Yeah, sure, Nick. I mean, as everybody probably knows, inflation up until last year, up until 2021, wasn't really a huge topic within procurement, right? It hasn't been an issue since the 80s. And now all of a sudden we have Last year it was at five percent. Now it's all the way up into the eight, a little over eight percent. Whether it's peaked or not, you know, nobody will know. But if you listen to the economists, they kept saying transitory, transitory. This this was just a passing fade. But you know, I think the longevity of it should be a little bit alarming is how wrong some of the so-called experts were at this. I mean, we're seeing record inflation in almost every single category. You know, there's a few that are normal, I, I think like toys and vet services. But for the most part, used cars are 40%. Gasoline is through the roof for, for a variety of reasons, right? But you know, I think we got very, very loose and irresponsible from a monetary and fiscal policy. You can kind of see that in the early days. The North American inflation rate was twice what it was in Europe. And a lot of that was due to the very aggressive policy response that was done. Yeah, that's just a piece of it, right? You know, there's a lot of other reasons. But I think the start of it, anybody who is looking that increased spending and the actions by the Fed, well, yeah, it it definitely helped the US and bounce back faster than a lot of the world. But now what we're seeing is ours is still, you know, much more inflated than other parts. And I do think that's a big reason. You know, the others, the traditional, yeah, supply chain bottlenecks having huge issues. There's no doubt about it that COVID was a big driver of this as well. But I do think that the response by the government did jumpstart the inflationary cycle that we're seeing.
1: No, absolutely. You and I have both been working on this topic for at least a year. First, many of the discussions around scarcity and what's happening there, You know whether or not it was semiconductors. And then we've heard from folks also that there was a global shortage of urea and fertilizer driving scarcity in other areas. You know, We ran our inflation study at the beginning of the year, and then many webcasts, many knowledge share sessions with clients to help them work through this challenge but you're spot on significant volatility lots of uncertainty a period of actually much higher demand and then matched with constraints around supply and disruption lockdowns opening up again you mentioned the the money printing the fiscal stimulus i also think many of the esg or sustainability related topics have a role to play here the speed of the transition The rundown of capital investment in many industries, especially the dirty industries, has led to tight markets, also increased demand for new technologies, the shift to electrification and so on. And then on top of that, we've got super tight labor markets, right? Would you believe at record high levels of of unemployment? And that has a role to play in terms of inflation in in services and, and so on. So, yeah, a lot going on, a lot to sort of work through there.
0: Yeah, and I think the way as well, just the way governments responded, right? For here in the US, we said, for everybody who got laid off, we're going to directly support you with direct monetary payments. Whereas in Europe, it was more of a, the government's going to incent companies to not lay those people off, right? So it was a different model. So when it was time to come back to work, you're mentioning the labor issues, when it was time to come back to work in Europe, those jobs were still there. So they just, a lot of people just naturally slid back into the same positions. Whereas folks in the in the US specifically, they didn't have those exact same jobs. And COVID definitely made them rethink, is this the type of job I want to be in going forward? Which, you know, leads to this tight labor supply, still a millions of the people who have not fully come back into the workforce. And that's where you're seeing this kind of that spiral of wages are going up, prices are going up, wages are going up, prices are going up. So I do think that had a big impact, not just the quantity of money that was being doled out, but how it was happening as well has has definitely contributed that to the labor issues that we're seeing today.
1: Yeah, I've heard some people refer to that as like the great resignation or a similar phrase, right, where anywhere between a third or half of our colleagues have reassessed what they want out of life. Maybe it's early retirement, maybe they want to move to the beach, certainly another role, move to a city.
0: Me included.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a key point when we're thinking about inflation. It's not only impacting goods, it's also having a, a significant impact on services and wage inflation, labor inflation, and tightness in markets there is one of the key drivers.
0: On rents all over the country, over here in the States, rents continue to go up. And a lot of that's because everybody's not going back to the office. They're looking to move. They're reshuffling around the country. There's a, there's a lot of data and studies showing you know key areas that people are moving from and moving to, and that's driving up prices in, in historically places that don't have high cost of living here in, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio, <laughs> I can tell you rents and just property values over the last couple of years have just skyrocketed through the roof. Offers coming in immediately and not just, you know, right now it's it's a crazy market and it's only going to it continues to put upward pressure on prices.
1: Okay. From there, why don't we pivot to introduce energy? We haven't touched on energy much at all. Energy in, in terms of scarcity and prices has really moved in the last couple of months especially i mean if we were to take it back to 2020 right i think the price of a barrel of oil at least in the, the futures market bottomed out at something like minus 37 or minus 40 us dollars <laughs> right in terms of west yeah. texas but now it's it's right up there a hundred dollars maybe even as high as 130 us dollars so what has been the impact in terms of ukraine and russia at least uh, what you're seeing there in the u.s could you share a few insights
0: yeah, I mean, from a policy perspective, we stopped the U.S. stopped, you know, accepting Russian crude. That definitely drove up prices quite significantly. I think in California, I think I was seeing seven, eight dollars a gallon here in, you know, Cincinnati, which is very low cost of living. It was up in the four twenty-five, four thirty. It's cooled down a bit. You know, a lot of policy response in terms of, you know, releasing strategic oil reserves, thinking about a gas tax holiday that probably won't come to fruition accepting lower grade ethanol for the summer months, which is typically not done. So it's we've had some relief. You know, we're not nearly as impacted. We're not nearly as beholden to Russia and dependent on their Russian supply as as you are though over in in Europe, right? It's just not, you know, 40% of our energy isn't coming from Russia. So we've taken a lot of steps to kind of isolate ourselves and be more independent, but you know, it's being felt day to day. It's one of those things that most people have never lived through inflation and seeing at the pump seeing it in the food aisle i just went and bought four steaks for a family grill out this past weekend and the meat that i normally buy was definitely 50 60 percent more expensive so we're seeing the impact of the russian ukraine war in multiple areas energy is is one but definitely on the food is another big one that i think we're feeling a little bit more so
1: yeah, Ukraine and Russia, they play uh, quite a significant role in global markets. I mean, one might even say there couldn't couldn't perhaps be a worse place for a war to start. You'd be hard pushed to think about a worse position. And, and I've seen many economic forecasters come out and suggest that it will have a significant impact in terms of GDP and, and economic growth of countries, you know, some estimates for the UK or US as much as reducing growth by a third. I think the numbers were initially forecast for Europe to be a bit lower than that, but then in the last week or so, Germany's come out and said, actually, we really think the impact will be significant as well, so not that different. Um, Really interesting, right, in terms of what's been happening. I mean, the social aspects, the humanitarian aspects have been terrible, warful, and it really has been a, a horrible situation from that perspective. I think as many as perhaps 5 million refugees out of a country of maybe 40 million, quite significant. But the way that we've responded to that challenge has been, unique and different than perhaps other wars, right, in terms of the sanctions, exiting operations, stopping new sales to that part of the world, you know, de-shipping, de-banking, de-planing Russia and so on. So the response has really been quite significant. And, you know, from a European perspective, I mean, Europe is, I mean, it's really raised some interesting questions around security, right? Because if we think from an energy perspective, energy, Europe probably receives about 50% of their gas from Russia, and then about 25% of their oil. So from an energy security perspective, we've been in the middle of the significant transition from a sustainability perspective, really looking to drive up the usage of renewables with an as wind or or solar, some shift to gas, and then all of a sudden, perhaps we need to drastically cut demand to move away from Russian oil and, and gas, step up our investments into renewables, perhaps also actually look to reactivate some of our nuclear stations and coal there, right? But we're seeing immediate impacts in terms of electronics and semiconductors, uh, lots of volatility in the metal market. I did a piece of analysis the other day that perhaps suggested the price of your new EV, or at least the battery going into your EV will go up by at least a quarter. That's a significant jump. Other derivatives in terms of oil, like price of uh, plastics. I hear from some clients, they're suffering from shortage of key materials or components that they need in terms of construction or even to build equipment and vehicles and so on. And and then, yeah, you were touching on the, the food aspects. From a Ukraine perspective, it's almost described as the, the food basket of Europe, up to about a third of global wheat produced there. So certainly a significant amount of geopolitical risk, which, I mean, what are we, we're at the end of April. This has been going on since almost the end of February, so two months now so really quite significant this might potentially go on for the for the long haul which is not good for anyone
0: yeah you have russia you know accusing the north america and european allies as waging a, a proxy war in ukraine and for the first time really some of the first concrete steps we've had plenty of sanctions on key russian people and people close to to vladimir putin you know they've tried to Ban like Vice President Kamala Harris from going to Russia. I don't think she was going to be going there soon, but for the first time, I think this could also really rile markets as well. The first time that I saw Russia actually halted gas exports to, I believe it was Poland and Bulgaria, which, you know, if they do take as much as they rely on their oil for the money for their economy, if they do start shutting off the pipes, so to speak, to certain European countries in retaliation, you know, that's definitely a risk. It's definitely a risk to shock oil markets and send oil. We finally got back under 100. I think it's over 100 today. But you know that definitely has it could have some very long-term impact and just further contribute to this inflationary cycle that we've been living in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That I mean, here at the end of April, that has been an interesting development over the last couple of days, right? We saw uh, Russia come out and say, we want to accept payment in, in rubles. We're not going to accept dollars or, or euros anymore. And then Poland, I think, has rejected and said, well, we're not going to be paying in in rubles. And interestingly, we've we've seen like gas storage in Europe, it's at historic lows, right? The tanks seem to pretty much be empty. So Russia has been supplying gas up until now, but the volume has has been reduced, right? So I'm sure countries would love to be filling their storage tanks to get ready for next winter, but that hasn't been the case. So yeah, the, the security issues, the risk issues really are quite significant and substantial.
0: Yeah, and the thing that I have seen, you know, I, I just was reading that Europe is starting to accept oil from further away, right? from I just read that Abu Dhabi was, you know, starting to supply Europe. I read that the U.S. was doubling the size of its tankers and exporting records amount over to Europe to try to fill that gap. And at least a to keep up the supply as, as much as possible. But as you kind of said, that that goes back and kind of gets thrown into the face of a lot of ESG policies. So it'll be interesting to see how it continues to play out the longer this catastrophe in Eastern Europe ha- goes on. It's going to be difficult to continue filling that void in the short term.
1: Yeah, there's not enough tankers in the world right now for Europe to completely shift off Russia. And there's not enough spare supply. Many of the OPEC countries have come out and said, actually, We've been running running down CapEx. We have limited additional supply. And what we did have, we've actually already sold to countries in Asia. So, yeah, we'd love to help, but there's limited alternative options right now. So I think one of the biggest drivers is just going to be reducing demand, reducing consumption of energy, right? So they're really looking at efficiency to drive a lot of the gains there. So interesting, interesting times. So moving on, inflation, right? It's been running for at least a year or thereabouts, certainly looking to accelerate the last few months or has been accelerating the last few months. How long do you think these sorts of conditions can go on for? Question.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not an economist, but I've had a a pretty strong view and been advising clients for the better part of 18 months that this is not going to be some transitory in nature phenomenon. All the elements were there, the pent-up demand, the supply chain issues, the Too much money in circulation. There was too many things converging at this point in time to think, you know, this was going to be something that just stopped all the economists that use that word transitory. I I laughed out loud when one of them came and said, We finally implemented a policy that if you say the word transitory, you have to put a dollar in the swear jar. (laughs) And it took a good, you know, year, 15, 16 months for them to finally get to the point where this is going to keep going on. You know, when we start talking about how long is it going to last? You know, if you listen to the same economists, I think the median one, the median data point, it says it's going to last, you know, at least into 2023, it'd be around 6% still. It wouldn't be surprising if this is almost a new normal of having elevated numbers of elevated inflation. Now, I don't think it's going to remain at 8.2%. I do think it's going to continue to be an issue in probably even 2024. You know, not a popular opinion, one that was probably not even considered at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. But the sentiment of it is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I expect inflation to go up or go, it goes up. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. People are still spending money. Companies are raising prices. People are continuing to spend that money. You hear companies like Procter & Gamble or Kimberly Clark or Kellogg's coming out on their earnings call saying that people are not substituting for lesser products. They're continuing to buy those brand names. So that signals that there's still too much money in the supply. People are still spending that kind of dollar. So I think it's going to be around for a lot longer than people expect, and it wouldn't shock me if it's 2024.
1: Mm. Interesting. My own view is uh, not that dissimilar to what you're thinking. I mean, I'd encourage people to look at the data, follow the numbers, follow the topic as it develops. No one has a crystal ball, right? No one knows for sure what's going to happen next week, next month, next year similar in the us you mentioned what was eight 8.3 percent here in europe many countries right inflation is high single digits well it depends which one you look at right cpi in terms of the consumer right. high single digits from a producer and manufacturer point of view we're well into double digits already right germany's saying hey the highest since was 1930s or 1940s at 30 percent. spain running a, a ppi of 50 percent the numbers The numbers are just crazy. When you mentioned some interesting points there, right? Look at demand, look at supply. And I really think that's where it starts. It is the imbalances in markets from a demand and a supply perspective that are acting together to create this situation. So look at the data, look at how demand might be changing, follow the numbers there. From a supply perspective, whatever spend area, business, market, commodity you're interested in, look at the developments in supply, right? Are additional investments and in plant or capacity being built? Are they coming online? Is it disruptions in terms of supply chain, in terms of shipping or containers or port congestion or whatnot? I mean, speaking of shipping, right? I mean, just look at China right now. <laughs> I read an article saying 20 or 25% of global shipping capacity is actually tied up in a big gridlock you know, sitting outside of Chinese ports. So yeah, how long can it go? I agree. I think it can go longer. And interestingly, to, to share a couple of data points with folks listening to this podcast, right? So this is the end of April. We've been polling our clients at various webcasts that we've been running. And there's some interesting data positions. So the expectation in terms of how high and for how long seems to be continuing to shift to the right. So when we were first asking this question, earlier on in March, people were thinking, yeah, probably 2023 might be the top. And then things will, will start to ease. But running this polling question with clients, you know, later on in April, it seems people's position in terms of the consensus has really moved on. But hey, coming back to the point, no one really knows. So look at the data, model some alternative scenarios, think about tactics. If inflation does start to ease and revert in 2023, fantastic. We've planned out what we're going to do. If it does run longer, then again, we know what we're going to do. We're good. We're okay. We can manage through the situation and. Hopefully we're not caught out by surprise. And with that, super important topic we absolutely need to cover as part of this session, Jonathan, how can we manage? You know, what are other companies doing in terms of inflation? I had one client post to me today, inflation, how can we continue to drive cost reductions? Uh, or is it well exactly, or is it more about mitigating the the increases? So interested, if you'd like to share a few few thoughts there as well, Jonathan.
0: Yeah, I have I have a lot of clients who are looking at inflation as the cost reduction targets. People might not be necessarily changing them, but they're becoming less optimistic that they'll actually be able to hit them. I have a lot of clients who, you know, when they're looking at some of their key pillars of their strategy for procurement going into 2022, you know, one of those maiden pillars is specifically, how do we mitigate the impact inflation's having on our business, right? Now, you want to make sure Incentive structure is aligned. Some of these clients don't get credit for cost avoidance. And one of their key structures is we need to mitigate inflation. So, you know, that's a imbalance, I think, in expectations. But, you know, outside of that, this is a huge focus area. And I think companies should be doing some of those traditional activities where possible. It's not always easy to just switch from one supplier to another, but where possible, you know, less sole sourcing, more dual sourcing, making sure you have Adequate number of suppliers who have been qualified. You need to look at your regions where these suppliers are, you know, make sure that they're closer to your customer base. I've been seeing a lot more clients try to fend off and price increases by getting more items for free, whether that's services or volume discounts. But some of those other ones, you know, a lot of a third of companies in our inflation study said that they were passing on prices directly to the consumer. And we were starting to see that. The problem is. While I do have many clients who are more mature and had a little bit of a moat around their business with longer term contracts and, and fixed pricing clauses within them to limit what the suppliers could increase, eventually those contracts are going to need to be rene- renegotiated. And that's when we're going to start seeing, I think, even more you know, than that third of companies passing on price increases. I think we're going to see a lot larger ones, because these are the large strategic contracts that are you know tens and tens of millions of dollars. they can't just eat that to their bottom line, so it'll be interesting to see come q two q three earnings results how CEOs are actually deciding on this because I'm hearing a, a more and more angst with some of our clients that are worried about those next really large contracts as they've been pretty protected for the last two years, but that's not going to go on forever so. That's another one. And, you know, there's some other ones that I'm hearing, but reducing, trying to change how you actually create the product is a tried and true method. But there's just shortages in in the the product needed. You know, costs continue to go up. It's a difficult environment out there for sure.
1: I completely agree. I think it makes sense to recognize, for the most part, where we are in seller's markets for many categories, subcategories, many parts of the world, maybe Maybe some markets, some areas in Asia are an exception, but for the most part, it is seller's markets, right? And strategies, tactics have to change. You know, We have to recognize that that prices are likely going up. You mentioned the point around the discussion of finance over what counts as our savings, typically avoidance, you know, making sure that our, our team get credit for, for what they do. But I also like to encourage folks to look at the data, take a data-driven approach, right? If suppliers are coming to you, saying, hey, the price is going up, Jonathan, by 25% or even 50%, you might think, whoa, that just sounds crazy. But if you run the numbers, understand the, the structure of costs and, and how the different elements are moving, maybe a 50% increase could actually be warranted, and you might find it difficult to push back on that. right? So that's the practical reality. I think we need to look at our pricing or, or cost adjustment mechanisms. Are they focused around CPI or PPI, or maybe there's a better industry benchmark that we want to look at? But yeah, taking that data-driven approach. Do we need to go to market now? Right, given that it's a seller's a market, can we avoid? Can we just roll over what we're running today? There's a couple of specific practices that I've heard from from many clients. They're increasingly looking at negotiating or trading for other sort of non-price or non-cost related items, right? So there might be additional value on the table. They might be able to do a deal, especially with suppliers that they've been working with for a number of years. Hey, can you absorb? a portion of the cost increase. We can't take it all. We'll look after you a couple of years from now. Maybe there's uh, additional benefits in terms of investment in, I don't know, promotional items or equipment spend, or you can commit in terms of capacity and so on. But I think in terms of, if we were to think about delivering cost savings, maybe we need to change the discussion from just talking only about price or cost and actually thinking about how we change the mix right? And then it's looking at requirements, looking at the specification. And if we look at how some companies responded to semiconductors challenges, you know, whether or not this is Tesla, GM, Ford, BMW, Jaguar, Land Rover, and so on and so on, right? They they looked at what they needed to buy and they looked at options for alternatives, right? Can we shift away from, say, proprietary chips to move to more generics? Can we look at opportunities to change our products in terms of features and and functionality and if you're looking to buy a new car in 2022 maybe you won't appreciate the lack of like electronic fuel management systems or the big screen in in your vehicle in your truck or your car (laughs) where you know you'd get your navigation or your your audio entertainment system but but companies have been doing that and some have even been rewriting software and code and so on but that's just a couple of examples from semiconductors in terms of how others might be changing requirements or specifications i think there might also be an opportunity in terms of how we can better manage demand and if prices are going up maybe we need to buy less or buy less in in certain areas
0: here in the us we don't do so well with buying less we like to buy more but (laughs) so i'm at the worst possible time to need a new car too it's driving me crazy i'm seeing this up 40 50 percent and they're you know one of the strategies is okay we can either pass these costs on to the consumer or We can just start reducing what we're providing, whether that's hotels no longer giving daily service for cleaning, whether it's cars not giving my seat a cooling situation or my steering wheel. I want those features. So I'm holding off. I'm not going to perpetuate the cycle of, of continuing to pay more. But I heard many of my top performers have also leaned heavily, heavily, heavily on their SRM programs over these past couple of years. Whether that was during the pandemic to ensuring you know making sure they're getting the supplies they needed. But now in the inflationary cycle that we're in you know they're still leaning on it from a risk perspective but from a inflation perspective they're working with their suppliers to say hey here's what's worked for us to mitigate these price increases maybe we can go in on it together and we'll share any increases but. SRM programs are, I'm talking to a lot of clients and building out that program because it's been leaned. It, there's a lot, lot of stress on companies and the SRM program and investment into it continues to be something as I don't want to say a, a silver bullet by any means, but it's definitely, I've seen my top performing clients who have very strong SRM programs, you know, have a little bit of an easier go of it of late over the past 18 months to, to two years. So that's definitely something that companies should be investing in we've seen a continued trend towards when you look at the overall value proposition of procurement the srm program is taking up a bigger and bigger chunk of that value and i, I do think that's going to be something to that's going to continue on and it's not a one off thing that's caused by you know the current events but i do think that's something that's going to continue on you know into the future
1: great thanks jonathan so no single bullet multiple practices evaluate options what you think will work best for your business area the product line you're supporting will spend area that you're working on i think we're out of time thank you so much jonathan for joining me today it's been a great discussion around inflation how long it'll run for what's the impact of ukraine and russia and what the heck's been going on and how we can manage through that situation <laughs> yeah. fantastic thank you everyone for listening thank you thank you thanks.
0: thanks for listening you can find the audio helpful resources and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehacketgroup.com If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode or send us an email at podcast at The Hacket Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehacketgroup.com.